0: Welcome, this is the Teaching Excellence podcast for all things FE, teaching, learning, assessment, quality and possibly a few other things along the way. Hosted by Steph Wilkinson and Jade Gibson, leaders in FE who want to support others and make a difference and hopefully spread a little happiness whilst we're at it. And welcome to the Teaching Excellence Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jamie Smith. Um, honoured to have you here, Jamie. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. And It's a real, real privilege to be talking to you today.
0: Oh, good. Thank you for joining me. Um, I usually get guests to just give the, a little introduction, so um, you go ahead. Introduce okay. To everyone.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Steph. Um, so I'm, I'm Jamie Smith. I'm the executive chairman of an education technology company called C-Learning. Um, how I would describe what we do is I'd keep it really simple and I would say that we help people to achieve more through technology. And that can mean many, many different things. So that's why I—that's why I tend to spend most of my days doing it. Sh- I feel like I should explain as well, like we were just saying before we started. But the reason I'm wearing sunglasses is I'm not <laughs> trying to look like—I'm bon- not trying to look like Bono, honestly. Um, my office is really, really bright. My office at home, so I could take them off, but then I'd be squinting and I wouldn't be able to see the screen at all. So um, I thought I'd—I'm uh, going to have to keep them on. I'm afraid. But um, no, yeah. So know. I. <laughs> so. No, it's so yeah
0: those that are listening
1: they can't see you but for those that can see you yeah probably best to explain absolutely yeah quite quite yeah so I get I, my, my privilege I'm really privileged I get to work with some extraordinary educators all over the world mm. who are doing extraordinary things in transforming the life chances of so many people all over the world it's my main passion my main, main passion as everybody who knows me knows is education so uh, for me it's not about actually technology it's about how we as people can transform and do more And have more impact in a good way in the world so and i think we're living in frankly the most exciting time in all of human history when it comes to that so so for me um Mm -hmm. that's what we that's what that's what the team spend their their days doing they'd all describe it differently because we've got lots of technical specialists and we've got lots of training specialists and we've got lots of strategists and lots of other things but ultimately it just boils down to a simple sentence which is we help people to achieve more through technology
0: yeah i love that um and that's for me that's what I'm about, which is how do we, it's not about a gadget, it's not about Mm. a particular thing, it's about how we can achieve more. How can we make the world a better place through what we do? And I think, you know, I've kind of always felt like we're on similar lines with that from a you know personal sort of mission perspective. Um, And I'm super excited to have you join me. But we thought we would talk a little bit, just go back a little bit, talk about Mm. lockdown. And just kind of um have a discussion about all things technology and and learning and what's going on out there mm. um, and just see if we can um discuss some of the big things that are cropping up and maybe talk about some of the possible solutions and the future of education mm. so um let's go back to march Um how was that how how <laughs> how did you manage
1: well um do you know if I look back and if some, if we've been having this conversation a year ago over a coffee somewhere and we've been talking about what do we think next year is gonna look like then what will you be doing um, it definitely we, I don't think we'd have uh, come up with how 2020 has played out you know if somebody had said to me that I would have driven less than 300 miles in the entire year because that's what's happened I filled up my car I think twice this year Um uh, it's just been surreal, hasn't it? And mm-hmm. most the most disruptive, fascinating, interesting, but also painful for many people y- years I think I've ever seen in my lifetime um, So where do where do we begin? Yeah, it's, it was surreal, wasn't it? So looking back at the start of the year huge disruption um, I suppose from my my point of view and what what we do is that because we are You know innovation is in our DNA and everything that me and all of my team do um we sort of were, have been talking for years about you know the ability of technology to be to enable people to be more agile and to adapt to change yeah. and of course what's happened this year as one chief executive said to me is that more change has happened in her organization in in five weeks than in five years and that was the position at the start of the year i think people went from reacting to a sort of recovering phase and i think the phase where we are at now is heading into a okay so what's the future what where are we where are we heading with all of this i think there's been You know, winners and losers, as there always are, Uh, you know. And and if we're being frank about it, uh, those people who try and cling to the past, for whatever reason, and I I don't say this as a criticism, because we all do this to a certain extent. We're all sentimental about certain things. And and also, if we're being frank about it, we all find change scary to a certain extent. So, I mean, I was challenged on this once by a chief exec friend of mine who said, uh, you consider yourself pretty radical when it comes to change and innovative, don't you? And I said, well, you know, I like to think so. And he said, uh, you know, well, what side of the bed do you sleep on? And I said, well, okay, the right hand side. And he said, but you spend half your life in hotels. So when you're in a hotel by yourself, well, which side of the bed? And I thought, oh, I know where he's going with this now. <laughs> um, it's true. We're all habitual. And, and uh, some of us admit it more than others. But the truth is, we're all habitual. We all find certain elements of change scary. And that's because I believe it's rooted in our biology and evolution because fearing change has actually kept us alive in the past you know not eating that red and white mushroom in the forest actually kept us alive you know um so i think it's actually rooted in our psychology and biology quite deeply but and i think this is why this year has been so difficult but also so exciting for people because depending on your capacity to be open-minded about change and your resiliency when it comes to change this year has either been the most exciting brilliant year in in your professional career or it's been the most terrifying depending how you look at it Mm -hmm. Uh, i think for micromanagers or people who believe in presenteeism it's been the worst year in history isn't it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um you know um i'm sure they'll fight back in some way with what our our good friend lou would describe as go backery um i I love that phrase my two favorite phrases from 2020 is go backery and you're on mute um, um,
0: well it's in, yes, It's so funny like with the Joy Fee chat it just became a phrase that it was actually Jen uh, Thetford K up at uh, Shipley College it was something she came out with and it just mm. stuck instantly because it, you know exactly what it means Yes, I do. totally agree with you um, I'm really interested actually in in sort of evolutionary behavior and always been fascinated with how you know evolution survival mechanisms can really influence our psychology today and I was talking about this last night actually because we do have as a species that want for some certainty but there are people um probably I'm similar to you I'm really okay with change I kind of seek change I'm always at the edge of my comfort zone I don't mean I'm an an adrenaline junkie that's not um what I'm getting at but I'm always at the ed- edge of that comfort zone looking how I can expand and grow as a person. But there are some people that like more certainty than uncertainty. Hmm. But even though I like change, the level of uncertainty that has been this year since March has been phenomenal. And there are times where I've really struggled as well. Um, but yeah, I think as depending on how much change you like, and I think it also depends on, the leadership that you have around you and that message that's been projected out, you will either feel sort of secure in the uncertainty and that you're all in it together. Or one of the things I'm hearing about is where communication isn't particularly consistent or strong. People are feeling really uncertain.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally.
0: That can influence the situation, can't it?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And just picking up on one of your themes there about feeling safe in disruption. Mm -hmm. Um, I was watching this week an absolutely wonderful webinar, it was uh, my friend David Price, um, OBE, he's he's a remarkable remarkable person, Um, a a real thought leader in every sense of the word, and he was doing a webinar where he was talking to the chief executive of the WD40 company, and uh, the chief executive of WD40 just happened to be talking about when lockdown, or rather when the pandemic first arrived, and he was talking about how that had affected his uh, company and the and how people were working and uh, doing what they do, and he said when everybody was sort of shifting to online meetings in many cases for the first time, he he, he was very um, emotionally aware that they might find that uh, challenging, a little bit scary, and a little bit uncomfortable as well. And in one of his first ones, he he said, uh, I, "I was doing a, a delivery to all of the team and and I messed it up. I made a complete hash of it and I did it deliberately." And when asked why he'd done it deliberately, he said, because I wanted to show that as the chief executive, it's okay for this not to go well and for this to not go to plan and for me to make a complete hash of it. And uh, I thought, how wonderful is that? There is a chief executive who understands that for people to innovate and to think about things afresh, they need to feel safe. They need to feel safe in that innovation. I see this with um, leadership teams all the time because I spend a lot of my personal time with the sort of chief executives and and boards and people like that. Mm -hmm. And often it's all about transformational change and how to enable that culturally, which of course is all about people. It's not about tools and uh, technology, it's about people. And it is absolutely true that to enable innovation, people have to feel safe. I I work with some chief executives who struggle with this and some chief executives who are just exemplary where I learn you know, just as much as they could learn from me or my team um, in terms of working together as a collaboration. There's a, there's a chief executive of a college we're working with at the moment who is just exemplary when it comes to how she is enabling innovation. Um, And I could describe it in many ways, but when I'm talking to her SLT, her senior team, Mm. you can, you can feel, that they all want to be there and want to be part of that team and they love it. And they, and they feel completely supported by the chief executive to do their own thing. Mm. Um, and, and she's enabled this culture, which I think is, is quite remarkable. And interestingly, it filters into the students as well. So I've had the privilege of meeting many of their students online and you can see it, you you feel it in the students as well. Um, they are very, very employable people and it's because they've developed that uh, confidence to be themselves and to, be open-minded and to innovate and to think um, so yeah quite extraordinary work going on and uh, the innovation going on in, in especially in college colleges but also large multi-academy trusts and schools as well that i've seen this year is is extraordinary
0: yeah and i, I do i like that I, i'm really a fan of modeling um you know the behaviors that we want to sort of instill in our staff or our students and i think for me, it everything counts. So you you can't just say the words. You have to then look at that has to match your actions as well.
1: Oh, 100 you know, percent.
0: And and that's a biggie for me.
1: Oh, totally agree. Just on that point, Steph. I um, I've throughout my career because I've spent certainly the last fifteen years in relatively, uh, I suppose, senior roles, if you could call it that. Mm-hmm. And I've appointed many, many very senior people. And I've always said to people on the panel, you know, you have to do a bit of uh, a due diligence on the audit trail around very senior people to Mm -hmm. see what they've actually done. And the reason for that is that anybody can say anything in an interview. You know, interviews are just the most flawed process ever, really. And they should just be one tiny part, probably the least important part of an appointment process. And yet today, even now, there are still very, very senior people getting appointed through just like a one or two day interview and assessment centre process and outside of that no one seems to do any due diligence which I find very very strange. I, and it, reason, it's you funny
0: know. you said that actually because I've been thinking about that recently and and I've been thinking a lot about this sort of you can say you can talk the talk. Oh absolutely. Um, but if you are you know always self-congratulating or just talking the language but mm. behind the scenes you know it's a different story That's or right. How, you know your values don't align with that um yeah totally. i think then eventually staff teams won't trust you or won't follow you and i think yep. at this time it becomes more important the light as well as shining on my face from the window <laughs> um, is being shone on leadership in yep. particular because staff teams want to feel safe and secure and they're not going to get you know Absolutely. um punished for trying and experimenting and trying to
1: innovate yeah there's a number of key points you're actually touching on there stephanie Mm. and um firstly i think leaders have to live their values you've got to um i see so many examples of leaders sort of uh, expecting other people to do things they're not prepared to do themselves um i've seen examples of that over the years in 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 many walks of life Mm. um whether that's the hours people are working or what even the jobs that they have to do and Um, I think, I think it's very, very important also to authentically listen to people in every leadership role I've ever been in. One of the questions I've often been asked in the past, I mean, it's been a long time since I was actually interviewed because I I run my own companies these days, Mm -hmm. but back when I was, um, last interviewed, you know, a common question I'd be asked is in your first few months in a very high level position, how would you establish yourself? Mm -hmm. And I've always answered the same way by saying, well, I wouldn't be doing anything other than listening. I'll be going around and I'll just be introducing myself and listening to as many people as I can. And uh, I don't know whether that's a good answer or not, but it's an honest answer. And I, the reason I think that's so important um, is because it is so critical to really listen to people. If, you, if, you, if you're running an organization, you've got to really listen to the people who are actually running the organization. Because if you're at the top of it, you're not actually doing 99% of what's going on.
0: <laughs> yeah. so,
1: so you really need to understand um, the challenges they face, their their hopes, their fears, what's not working mm. and uh, and to just provide the right support and resources for those, the, mm. those people in your team uh, because they're in your care and ultimately your job is to lift them up and look after those people and to provide them with a clear purpose and direction and all the other things um, and again I think if you make people feel safe and they've got a clear purpose uh, then uh, if you, my, my ideal scenario is I've always believed passionately that you have to love what you're doing <laughs> there's yeah, that does that does that old phrase of you never work another day in your life when you do what you love, and I've had the privilege you? Of spending you know my entire career doing that so I think that um you know you surround you create a culture where that's the case where people can thrive and love what they're doing, mm-hmm. and then they never feel like they've got a job they just love what they're doing because it's who they are mm-hmm. and um it's all the things that Sir Ken Robinson used to talk about um uh i mean that's that's one thing that was a, a real um a real down moment for me personally this year
0: yeah.
1: Uh, was I was absolutely, it's no exaggeration to say devastated when I saw the news about Ken Robinson. Um, he, he is somebody who has been such an influence on my thinking, my career and my work. Um, I never got to meet him personally, unfortunately, but I know a close friend of mine was mentored by him and um yeah a truly truly remarkable person and of course Sir Ken always talked about being in your element and loving what what you do and that that being really your purpose in life and if you do that everything else works out and my experience has been that that's absolutely the case
0: yeah i love that i do love that um so what conversations have you been having with people in terms of maybe colleges schools and about technology what sorts of things have been been being discussed or asked and how has that changed over since March what's how have those conversations yeah.
1: been? so what I think is sort of how I could summarize what's happened since March between then and now is initially there was shock I think and I suppose an element of almost panic of oh gosh how are we gonna how are we gonna handle this none of us have lived through a pandemic of this nature <laughs> before I think it's fair to say uh I mean we'd have to go back yeah quite a long way to uh have to go back 100 years actually to the last major global pandemic so there was initially a bit of shock and then i think people what i do think is amazing is that is the sheer resiliency of educators actually amazing is they're just incredible i in fact i think a lot of the business world could learn a lot from how educators just got on with it and 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 transformed what they were doing Mm -hmm. i think one of the things from a sort of business point of view that is just just I I still sort of am amazed at it's just the sheer scale of change. So, you know, the whole world seems to have gone online. (laughs) So, so there's like, you know, billions of minutes of video calls happening every day that weren't happening before people have done things they didn't realize they could do. They've got comfortable with working remotely and flexibly and, and smarter. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen that uh, be a huge change. And to be fair as well, the, the government have, actually done a few things that I. I it's very easy to criticise politicians and I think that seems to be a, a you know a, a permanent sport really but um, but also I believe in credit where credit's due and whether people agree with it or not the Department for Education has taken some decisive action this year and one of the things it's done is it funded any school or college that hadn't got an online platform to get one now now whether people like those online platforms or not is kind of irrelevant they provided the funding so at no cost to a college or a school it was all paid for through the dfe and that's still going on now they've extended the scheme up until march i believe um and that's that's pretty that's pretty great you know the fact they did that because thousands of schools took advantage of it yeah. so so, so we've now got thousands of schools using cloud platforms to enable them to continue learning no matter what disruption happens so i think that is just amazing because that's happened in a matter of six months yeah
0: um, we, that would never have been the case if, if no. it could have happened
1: No, it would have taken 10 years. We would have been having this conversation, without the pandemic, we'd have been talking about how many schools and colleges use cloud technology wisely to enable them to continue learning and no matter what happens. You know, 10 years from now, without the pandemic, it would have been, you know, not that different probably to where we are today, you know. Um, But the pandemic has brought about so many issues into focus, hasn't it? I mean, one of the big ones for me is I'm a big believer that technology should have a purpose. Um, Too many people get evangelized about a particular technology okay Mm -hmm. and I know there's a bit of an irony to what I'm saying now because most people sometimes uh, you know people might have a preconceived idea of me being some sort of um, you know uh, Google fanatic (laughs) Um, now don't get me wrong I do love Google it's amazing stuff Um, but I'm a fan of anything that works that you can trust and it's got to work and it's not about the technology it's about the impact on your life like like I said at the start it's about what it does for people so it's all about it's all about people not the tool um good friend uh scott hayden um i was listening to a webinar that scott did earlier this year and he came out with something that has just been in my mind ever since i heard him say it he was talking about the branded teacher and at first i wasn't quite sure what he meant and he went on to explain that like often because he was asked for something that he thinks he was asked about what he thinks is a bit of a problem in education and he said "Well, the branded teacher and and what he means by that is you know somebody who might say i'm a I'm a Microsoft certified this and that's all I do, or I'm an Apple distinguished this, or I'm a Google distinguished, whatever. Well, those things, there's nothing wrong with those badges. They're nice yeah. things to have. But if they blinker your your vision and your, your sort of understanding of the wider aspects of how human beings learn, then it's not necessarily a good thing, is it?
0: Yeah. And, uh,
1: and I totally agree with that. I think it's all about people, um, not the technology. And I think that I do like this idea of technology with a purpose. And one of the things that's exciting me this year and I could I could really get excited about talking about this, is I, I'm a sort of a bit of a late to the party environmental warrior. So mm-hmm. I am massively sort of concerned about the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. And in our company, we're all concerned about this. And we're all doing things that we can do as a business to try and be the best we can be in terms of addressing this agenda. Mm-hmm. And we're only one small company in one sense in a, in, a, in a very big world. But I think that If we all just make a few changes and if, and the reason I mention this in the context of this conversation with technology in talking about technology is because if you understand some of the ways that technology can help us to address the climate crisis, then it really does offer us a very, very exciting vision of the future. And one of the images that will always be burned into my mind from this year, Steph, Mm -hmm. is an image that NASA took back in February when the pandemic first came along and they took an image of over China, actually and then it showed you the month before and then in february when everything was closed down and china was dealing with with the issues it was dealing with and there was just the environmental pollution in the atmosphere just basically disappeared and it was just mind-boggling they achieved more in the space of a few weeks than the united nations target can achieve over 50 years you know and i'm and so for the reason i mention it is because it's an example of where if innovation isn't optional and we're forced to do it basically yeah. Just look what human beings can achieve if we actually decide to do something. Yeah. It is it is amazing. And, and that, for me, is a real exemplar of what, what human beings can do if we collectively decide to do something together for a bigger picture. And I think it is quite remarkable if you go back and look at what happened at the start of the year.
0: Yeah. And and it's it's so fascinating. Um, you probably know this about me, but I champion sort of power of the people and people coming together, having a voice and... Um, being values driven Mm. and I think that's where technology can really harness that power of working together and Mm. I I love that example because the things that have happened because of the pandemic although you know in one respect you would never wish it on the world there are now the conversations that's happening especially as we're into sort of week three week four of term a new term there are emerging sort of benefits and people are, although it's been, like you say, really that, that that at the beginning, it was like an emergency situation, wasn't it? People were just trying to figure out what to do, how to do it. But like you say, educators were so innovative, switched up what they were doing and just got on with it. And now they're kind of, they've gone again, had a little bit of time over summer. I say a little bit, it's a tiny bit to kind of just gather themselves and go again and people are I think the places that are gonna thrive are those that A had already got onto sort of a digital agenda anyway. Mm. But people who have fostered a culture where um, you know, people are able to try things without being punished, things can go wrong, things can are experimental, they're providing lots of support and sort of, you know, not just physical support in, in, um, equipment or people power, Mm. but just the, you know, the encouragement and the words and the presence of, of leadership to really encourage people to just try and have a go and change things and, you know, jump off the cliff without a parachute is one of the um, phrases that I often use, but, you know, it's the, the things that have been achieved and, now where people are looking at what is actually a real benefit of what's coming out. Mm. I think if we focus, we can't ignore the things that are still a challenge and we'll talk about them in a minute, but we, we have to acknowledge there are real positives that are coming out that we can maybe use and snowball.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Carry on building what we're doing.
1: Yeah, totally. And I, I think it's, it's, it's going to come down to some, uh, inconvenient truths, I think for some people because there there isn't any going back. Okay. And, and this isn't even just a philosophical position. This is going to be driven by hard cash. I was saying to somebody recently, because one of my many hats is I'm an investor and I get involved in some ed tech startups. And I also, I, I invest in all manner of things. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm always looking at how the world is changing and shaping up. And I was talking to someone recently in terms of, if if you take two businesses, say in a city center, <laughs> And one insists on making all of its colleagues uh, drive in traffic, get stuck in traffic. And by the way, I've always st- said, you're not stuck in traffic, you are traffic.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, you know, I mean, this is what it's always amusing me about people. people say, I'm stuck in traffic. No, no, you are <laughs> So they get stuck in traffic, and then they 'll often not always but often end up in an office where they'll work on a computing device of one kind or another, mm. and they will connect to a thing called the internet and i 'm thinking to myself this this really doesn't make sense, does it mm. So what of course has happened now is that you've got let's say you 've got two competitors in a city, and one insists on sending all of its people back into work, okay, sacrificing the planet, sacrificing their health and well being and their time. And then to work very unproductively because they've just lost two hours each way because they're traveling and everything else, plus polluting the planet. And another business says, hmm, over the summer, we saved how many millions in our operating costs again? Hmm. And we can pass some of that costs on to our, our customers by undercutting those guys over there. And at the same time, we can improve the well-being, health and morale of all of our people. Hmm. Hmm. I think I'm going to go for that option. And of course, who's going to win the day with that one? Well, it's the second one. The first business is slowly, slowly, slowly going to go bust over time. Mm -hmm. And on the the way to going bust, they're also going to lose all of their talent because what's happening now, and by the way, I'm seeing this in education right now.
0: I'm I'm
1: aware of two, two of my friends just recently, I won't name them for obvious reasons, but it's two of my friends just recently who have moved from one large education institution to another purely because when they went back to their bosses and said, okay I've demonstrated I can work more flexibly, more agile, it fits in with my personal life much better so my mm-hmm. well-being and everything's better, let's keep doing this. The bosses said no 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 no. you must come back into the campus yeah, I and so they went to another institution that did offer them that. Now those are two people who are very high-flying, they're very talented people mm-hmm. and so you can see what's going to happen here can't you? Yeah. Is that This all comes down to leadership and management at the end of the day is that it comes down to the talents of the leadership teams. Uh, those leadership teams that want to go back and force people to work in a in an old-fashioned, not very smart way are going to lose their top talent. Yeah.
0: And um, Lou and I often have this conversation um, about a culture, and this is a there's a pinch point point here, which is leadership and management do need to find ways to trust their staff. And I mm. think you know, based on the amount of effort and energy that teachers showed in the emergency situation at the beginning of lockdown and what they made happen, we know we can trust our teachers to try their hearts out for their students. And there, I've also heard similar where they apparently, I mean, I don't know this person directly, but you know, there are colleges teaching online, but the staff have to be in the college. And why you would do that other than um, a case of serious mistrust
1: so is, it's an it, see, that isn't just fascinating to me because uh, on that point steph i've actually had one or two conversations with hr directors over the years and i remember one distinctively where we were talking about homeworking as it was called back then at that point mm-hmm. and I, I of course i was all for it as people might expect and and the hr director said well um how, do, how can we trust that people are doing what they're doing to which my response was, are you telling me that our recruitment and selection procedure, we're, we're employing people we can't trust? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because for me, that raises more questions about the senior team and the management team and the director of HR than it does about anybody we actually employ. Yeah. Because that means our recruitment, there's something fundamentally, fundamentally wrong with a recruitment and selection process if you're employing people that you can't trust so that is a totally separate issue and the hr director of course didn't see that particular issue being raised because i think that person was focusing a little bit too much on other issues but um I, I do think that's an interesting one it says more about organizational culture and if an organization adopts that attitude anyway it will again it will lose its top talents talent, talented people I, won't stick around
0: no and, and this is why it i i get a bit perplexed by it because if you've got really decent you know i, I don't like using the word rigorous because it, it it sort of sets off the wrong feeling that I'm not getting at sort of um, a very heavy quality assurance process. What I'm getting at is if you have a regular, frequent mm. te- temperature check of the quality of what's going on, and that mainly includes learner voice, you will be able to see what the students are saying about their learning experience at any one time across the whole of your college or the whole of your school. And you can, raise or follow any sort of concerns, but more importantly, celebrate the strengths and the positives that are coming back um, mm. and share those. But yeah, I think, you know, where where we have, I, it's almost like um, chronic mistrust that goes on in education. People don't know why they don't trust. They just think it's not really the thing to do, you know, to let people work at home and, and that feels a bit scary, but well,
1: again, we've got, again
0: I, we've got to be in that place of yeah. of we've got to feel a fear and then do it anyway at the minute if we want yeah. the best for our staff. Um,
1: I mean these are all leadership and management issues, aren't they? So I mean if I look back on my career, I suppose I've been ridiculously lucky because I've been mentored and coached by some of the most extraordinary people I could I could ever hope to meet. And And in many cases, it was the generosity of senior leaders in education again that introduced me to these people. Um, There was a vice chancellor many, many years ago that I worked with who uh, she introduced me to some extraordinary people. And on the back of that, it transformed my entire life because I got to be exposed to a diversity of different people I would never have been exposed to otherwise. Mm -hmm. And those, those people really influenced and shaped my career and my thinking and everything else. And I I think that a lot of these issues about trust, you see, almost inevitably, when I'm working with a senior executive, where there's trust issues, you know, it's probably just because that particular person has not had the same benefit of being exposed to really high flying international executives who are leading multinational businesses and understanding how those people work, think and operate. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, if you believe in presenteeism and micromanaging, it's never going to end well for you. It just is never going to end well for you. There's a lot of people who, uh, you know, are in that position. And if they were being honest with themselves, maybe that is them. The good news is, is they can change. You don't have to be that way, you know, just get yourself some decent mentors, some decent training, some a diversity of people around you. Um, one of the biggest issues I see in leadership and management is unconscious bias. I see people surrounding themselves with people that uh, it becomes an echo chamber of thinking instead of a diversity of thinking in all senses. Uh, again, I've, I, I'm aware of this just because I've been lucky enough to be mentored and challenged and coached by some truly amazing people. And I think that is something I'd like to see more of in education is everybody should have a coach. Everybody should have a mentor. Um, everybody. I've got one, you know, I've got several actually. Um, so I think I think, I think think everybody needs this um, to challenge you and to help you to grow and, and to take you out of your comfort zone a bit. I mean, that's why I run uh, businesses these days. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I had a friend who, gave me a bit of a nudge and said look you've got these companies or whatever and, and, you, and you could work with others and you need to you need to grow these things because they've got huge global potential and that's what you should be doing and at the time i was i was very happy in an, in an executive role in, in in a college and i didn't really feel the need i was very comfortable in that role i suppose that's the phrase and i think that's something else that sometimes we can get a bit comfortable with how things are
0: yeah and that, going back to the um echo chamber um topic that was the best bit of um the rebel ideas book um
1: mm.
0: oh, said he, he that that was I was actually randomly riding a bike in Australia listening to and that that bit in particular really resonated with me because if you do if you if you convince yourself of something it's really hard to break free of that mindset isn't it and then you get out you can get very stuck very mm. stuck there so Um, Let's talk about um, the new year and some of the people that you're working with. What are the sort of real positive examples of things that people are trying to do in colleges across the country?
1: Oh, gosh, I I think I could name so many people in colleges in this country that are doing extraordinary things Mm -hmm. right now. They've not only transformed in a matter of months, but when I look at their future, because I do a lot of work with... Chief executives and senior teams around their digital roadmap, so to speak, um, where we, you know, uh, define a change process and we define some impact measures and we work out how exactly that's going to happen and roughly, who, you know, what what the actual process is to get there. Yeah. And when I when I'm listening to some of these leaders that are driving this this forward, you know, they they have the mo- they're absolutely thriving in many ways because. There are many colleges that I could name who, three years from now, they are going to be doing really, really well. So there's some amazing stuff going on. I think the most, the key, the key themes are, um, hopefully we can move on from the debate about technology now. We, we we can trust it. It just works. It doesn't, you know, whatever platform you're using, um, you know, teachers have embraced it. Um, it's not perfect because no technology is perfect. You, you know, they've all got quirks and things but the sheer adoption and transformation it's enabling is incredible i think where it's going to move to now is about mastery of these tools for learning so it's gone from the how do we use it can we trust it oh yes i've got comfortable with it to right let's really focus on the learning now and i think that's the exciting thing for me so um the sheer i mean um I don't want to sound like a branded teacher to use Scott's term, but you know, the sheer adoption in my world of what we do every day with, with things like Google and G suite and G suite enterprise is, has been, I think beyond anybody's wildest kind of expectations and what's driven it is teachers looking at impact on learning in a, in a digital world that could also be very disrupted. And of course in a disruptive world that's, that's changing rapidly, you need an infrastructure and tools uh, that can cope with that disruption. And so I think looking forward, more innovations happened this year than in many years previously <clears throat> put together, and mm-hmm. I think forward now the innovation will accelerate. So I think in that sense, it's it's massively exciting.
0: Yeah, I, and I think, like you say, those that are are embracing the change and the and the trialing and the innovation and the creating the cultures where people feel mm-hmm. safe and can be you know are trusted. Yeah, yeah. they will make significant. Um, progress um, from where they were before lockdown
1: yeah yeah
0: like you say in the next three years yeah
1: Yeah. I've got I've got very little concerns about colleges in some sense actually because the sheer innovation because they're so resilient partly because the college sector has had to be so resilient for so long so they're used to you know they're they're incredibly resilient I think some of the and so so same with multi-academy trusts actually I've seen some and schools I've seen that sector of education doesn't worry me so much if you if, if I was talking about the area that worries me it's actually higher education it's okay. the university sector really really concerned about about what I see going on in higher education in the UK um, it just does not seem to have innovated I mean I mean FE is, is living in the dust frankly um, and I say that I don't I don't want to say this as a way of like setting up one area one part of the sector mm-hmm. against another but just while we're talking about you know the future and where I see you know opportunities and challenges, I think I see huge opportunities for further education, and there are opportunities for higher education as well, but it doesn't seem to be reimagining its its operating model as quickly as it needs to, do to adapt to the changing world around it and we're seeing this on the news now aren't we we're starting to see you know thousands of people asked to go into halls what why <laughs> you know, i mean it, it, in many cases it makes no sense at all i mean i won't name the university but this morning i was dealing with a university that uh, the phone <laughs> the phone system basically doesn't work you can't access it off campus okay <laughs> So so to fix an IT problem you have to be in the campus because they're not using cloud based infrastructure and cloud based systems you know yeah. I mean they could, they could be using google voice which just works anywhere in the world but they're not and and this kind of thing is starting to really cause pain for a lot of universities and i think that they will survive and i hope they do because they're the most they're so important it's it's unbelievable yeah. but but i do think higher education is having a bit of a perfect storm right now yeah
0: So I suppose, well, we could, we could chat all day, couldn't we? Um, But I think we, are there there any, and we talked earlier just before we recorded about trying to make things sort of simple. And I think from my perspective, some of the conversations I've been having, um, which links to one of the things you said, which is, it's great that now we've gone past that sort of worry about technology. We've accepted that it's not perfect. We've accepted there's different ways of doing things, but we're now focused on the learning. And that's the biggest win, if you like, because in the last five years of of leading teaching and learning in the college, you know, the main, one of the main barriers that was that people just always thought it wouldn't work or it was kind of too hard to spend the time to get to know how to make it work. But actually that's had to happen. And so there hasn't been, the the debate's gone there, but now they're trying to do things. They've got more confident, they've upskilled, you know, at different rates, everyone's at different places and that's totally fine. But actually the focus on the learning and how we can and the focus on the practice of teaching for me is really amazing because mm. I've been a big believer that if you focus on your practice and, and you continuously reflect, mm. for the reason not for any other reason of than enhancing the lives of the students that we teach. You know, people have heard me say before, and I, I never promote anything you know for a box ticking exercise. Um, for an offset audit, it's about the students, it's about the learning and it's about how we can make people's mm-hmm. lives better. And I'm, I'm really glad that people are now starting to focus on the learning. So I suppose one of my solutions, if people are not already doing it, is if it feels a bit noisy still or it feels a bit overwhelming, is just focus on the learning. And then they'll be oh. this year they will be able to make really good progress for themselves.
1: I think that should run through everything. So if you, whether you're running a school, multi-academy trust, college, university, whatever, you should always start by focusing on learning because that's your core business. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the purpose of the organization. And too often, it's not. So, I mean, I had a, a situation recently where I was doing some transformational work with a, a large college. And they, when I asked why they got this huge number of IT systems, it was, it was ridiculous. You know, they got about three, three times the norm of what you'd expect. I said who decides this and it turned out it was uh, the it director <laughs> now so, sorry sorry it directors out there but um but this is an inconvenient truth so you can see where i'm going with this my my next question was why is the it director deciding what what the learning tools are in the entire organization because they're not a qualified teacher and they're not actually in the classroom doing it mm-hmm. and and actually in that particular example they would not actually spent any time actually joining up at all so so it was causing these huge pain points it was delivering Uh, all manner of issues, and the learning was suffering. Mm. If you start with the learning, and one of the best examples I've heard in recent years of that was uh, a principal, uh, head teacher called Rob Hoeven, who teaches in the Netherlands in a school called the Agora School. I don't know if you're familiar with it.
0: I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's become become quite well known now. Um, I hadn't heard of it a, a, a while back when I first met Rob and uh, he was delivering a presentation uh, the, uh, where i was at this event and and i was just blown away and and he started with he rebuilt his entire school just from focusing on learning that was it that was the sole focus of everything so it became this highly personalized co-created learning journey between the student and the teacher and uh, with everything focused on the learning so if it didn't if it didn't add up when it comes to enhancing learning well then you'd be questioning why are we doing it and if you do start with that approach then it solves everything else and this is true in business as well so for example everything we do in our business we don't lock ourselves away and think oh how can we create a product that the world wants to buy you know um we, we actually all of our products and we've launched several new products this year and they've done really well and every single time the common element is it wasn't our idea at all it was by listening to people like you people listening to our users and our customers and and listening to when they say you know we've got a problem with this could you solve this and then we start to think "Hmm, could we solve it i don't know we go away and we ask others and we do some research and we we try and solve it and it's by authentically listening that we solve all of the world's problems and when we stop listening of course is when human beings and relationships kind of break down and don't go so well and it's it's the same with everything in education isn't it i think if we listen to the learners and and we listen to expert educators and that's one of the things that frustrates me about the english system is that if i was teaching now i think i'd feel quite disempowered in some ways maybe because there's so much external scrutiny there's so much uh, of a culture of measurement and audit and compliance and all these other things i think that's become a little bit uh, unbalanced and i think it's time now to really uh, rebalance that and focus on learning focus on human beings focus on how we thrive and to create a more humane education system and i think we can do it and i think we've demonstrated we can do it this year and i think we just need leaders to have the confidence to realize they've got more power than maybe they realize Uh, i've seen too many senior executives almost nervous about an ofsted inspection Uh, uh, well i wouldn't be (laughs) i I would see it the opposite way i would want ofsted to come in so i could tell them and show them just how damn outstanding my people are you know and that's that's the approach i would be taking you know but and then take risks you know when i was last uh, chair of the board of an outstanding school i I encouraged all of the people you know, to, to innovate, to take risks and to know that they were safe to do so because the book stopped with me. And if it went wrong, it was my responsibility and mine alone. And if it went right, it was nothing to do with me. And it was, it was entirely down to what they were doing. And it's, a, it, it's not rocket science, is it? You know, If you look after people in that way, and if you have the courage just to do what you believe in, then it, it works out. And I think there's a momentum happening right now. I've sensed an urgency and and an impatience, if I can put it that way, amongst educators this year. It's building (laughs) and I I can sense it. And I think it's brilliant because I love all that.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's true. And I'm getting a bit blinded by the sun. So um, (laughs) I'm a bit distracted, but I totally, you know, that is the bit. That is the, the momentum is there. There's fire in people's bellies. People are impatient because there's been too much of, you know, focusing on Ofsted or focusing on um, other things that take us away from people centered leadership. And it's only when you focus there, you can create the conditions for students to flourish for them to really sort of, you know, view their lives as an adventure, if you like, and and sort of fulfill a potential. Mm it's when we're tied down to sort of we've always done it this way or things that have kind of fear driven, uh, you know, fear driven decisions hmm. that we've, we've moved away from that. And I think it, It you are right. It's the time is now and we've seen things can change and things can be different. So it's, is, it's is super exciting.
1: I think so. I think we are living in the most exciting time ever. I, I mean, I, I, um... I, know, I don't want to downplay at all um, the downside of this year because I'm well aware of that people are dying and I'm well aware of the disruption and I'm well aware that a lot of businesses will not make it through this. And I'm well aware that some universities might not. Um, but if you if you look at the bigger picture and if you look on the positives of what's happened this year, I think we've seen more than a glimpse of how we can create a more sustainable world where we all thrive we can all breathe cleaner air i mean going back to when the you asked me at the start about one of the things that i I noticed or remembered going back to march and i've just remembered one of the key things was so many of my friends were saying have you seen the star, the scar the stars at night have you seen the sky at night and they were talking about because they've been in their gardens because they're in lockdown or whatever and they've been looking at the sky at night looking at the stars and how much clearer the sky appeared to be because nobody was driving around in their cars and things and so I think we've seen glimpses of a smarter, more sustainable world and how we might tackle the climate crisis, which is going to affect all of us. You know, it's like a well-known quote I saw once that said, your opinion on climate change is optional, but your participation in it is not. <laughs> and and I think that sums it up because my personal view is, that, again, to steal a quote from somebody else, you know, the future will be green or not at all um you know we're, we're all in this together we're on the same rock so i think we need to start seeing it that way and i think that's one of the exciting things coming out of this year is i think we've seen the collective capacities of when we get together um you know as communities as disruptive communities we get together i've seen i've seen this in education with amazing maverick educators getting together and saying i'm not waiting for someone to tell me how to do this i'm doing it and that is what we need <laughs> because that's how ch- that's how change happens it's very hard for people who believe in go backery to stop something once it's happened Right. If they get in there at the start with the go backery, well, then they can cause a real curveball. But just do it. (laughs) So, you know, to steal Nike's quote, you know, uh, just do it. Um, I think I think that is is a key part of it. And I think if we we have such a prize now that's been proven, you know, we can live, work and learn smarter, more sustainably in a more humane, human centric way. And I think that is too big a prize to let it go. You know, I, I would, I would hate to think we would, you know, be looking back with a postcard from the future five years from now, sort of going, oh, yeah, 2020 had some potential, but we've all gone back to, you know, driving into cities and doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's gone too far, frankly. Um, I think, it'll, I think the change is going to happen anyway for various different reasons, and I think it's exciting.
0: It is, and um, we'll we'll leave it there because that I really feel um sort of super inspired because it is that I'm one of those people that doesn't like to wait to be told, mm. you know, to get on with it. I'm just there getting on with it. And um it's a call out to all people to join in and get on with it and and make that change because it can happen. Oh. So thank you so much for joining me, Jamie. It's been absolutely amazing having you on.
1: No, you're more than welcome. It's been a privilege in any time, anytime.
0: Real. Thank you. See you soon. See you soon.
1: Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Leave us a voice message in Anchor. Tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show. Tune in next week for more. Have an amazing week and be the best version of you.